four teenagers, one of them getting ready to leave uh, for her freshman year of college, and we're moving her in a couple of weeks. So please pray for Dad. I'm crying every day. I can't handle it. I don't know how people deal with this. I'm, I'm at my wit's end. Uh, and then we still have three at home. So please pray for Dad because I still got three. <laughs> it is a joy and an honor for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, this August, if you're not aware, this August will will commemorate one year since the Alamo Heights and Asbury merged together. So one year in the family with, with you guys, and, and it's, a, it's been a joy and a blessing. I shared with the, the first service that, that we have received so much love and so much support from this congregation, and, and, and we feel truly blessed to be a part of the family and to be received the way we have. Uh, the work that is going on at Asbury is is ongoing. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of ministry happening. And it's happening, by and large, because of your support. And I would like to encourage you to, to look at what's going on at Asbury. And if you'd like to be a part of that and take part of that, if you'd like to do some mission work in the inner city, please come see me. We've got enough mission work to last a lifetime. And so there's there's plenty to do. Uh, if if you're preparing for an overseas mission trip and you want to do something locally before, please come see me. If God has placed something in your heart, please come see me. We, we don't say no or very rarely say no. And so there's 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 things that can be done to serve God and, and to serve community and, and to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus here in San Antonio. And, in, and we look forward to to working with whoever would would come and show up. Um, it is indeed a joy to be here. Last week I was at Riverside, and so now this week I'm here at New Heights. A couple of months ago I was in the sanctuary, uh, and 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 I have to admit that 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 even though I've been preaching since I was 16, I still get a little intimidated when I'm in a new place. And so so I, I, I was thinking, how can I make myself feel a little more at ease. And, and I said, well, maybe I need to just dress up a little bit. And this is not how I normally dress, by the way. And, and when Daryl saw me this morning, he said, is that the way I'm supposed to dress at Asbury? <laughs> and I said, no, buddy, just it's cool. It's all right. You're, you're fine. But I wanted to come and, and dress up a little bit and, and offer you my best and, and um, <clears throat> have the opportunity to use to wear the only suit that fits <laughs> once in a while. Uh, and so, do I look okay? Am, am I fine? You're fine? Okay, thank you. This is for you. This is for you. Um, before we get started, I'd like to pray, and then we'll go into the scripture. And so, if you'll pray with me. Father God, we just praise you. We glorify you. We adore you. We worship you. For you alone are worthy. You alone deserve all the honor, glory, and praise. For you are a great God. You do great things. And so we come before you this morning, Lord God, and just pray that you would 
anoint us with your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would flow in this place like never before, that you would just wrap us up in your love and just move us to move mountains and to do things that you've called us to do for your honor and your glory. And so that lives would be transformed, lives would be changed, lives would be impacted because of your love, your mercy, your grace that endures forever. And so I pray, Lord God, that as we enter into this time of meditation on your word, you would speak to us in you. That you would speak directly to the core of our being. That our ears, our, our mind, our heart, our soul would receive the message you have for us this day. And that it be your message, not mine, but your message, Lord God, and that it come from your throne of grace. And though it may be different than the person sitting to our right or to our left, let it be your message that penetrates. And as we receive the message that you have for us, I pray, Lord God, that somehow, some way, somewhere, you would take that message in us and allow us to share it with someone who's in need. Of hearing a good news. We praise you, Father. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Throughout the course of the summer, we have been studying the the, the healing passages of Jesus with you. The same passages that y'all are, are, are studying and preaching on Sunday after Sunday throughout this summer, we've been doing the same thing at Asbury and at Riverside and, of course, in the sanctuary. And so there's a sense of community in that. Knowing that while we're in different locations, we're studying the same word. Now, granted, it's coming from different perspectives, Because those who are preaching have different experiences, have different education levels. Everything is different except the Word. And it brings us together. And I think that's a great thing. It's a joyful thing to know that we can be in different locations, but still studying and preaching and proclaiming the same word. And so this morning's scripture comes from the 13th chapter of Luke, verses 10 through 17. It's going to appear on the screen if it hasn't already. I'm going to ask you to stand in reverence to the gospel reading. And I'm also going to ask that you read with me. So we'll read this scripture together. It's Luke chapter 13. Verses 10 through 17, and it reads, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, 
There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The word of God for the people of God. And may be seated. In the summer of 1975, I was 10 years old. Birthday's in November, so I was going to be 11. I was 10 years old. So that says I'm going to be 49, okay? So stop doing the math. I was 10 years old, and my four-year-old sister, Yvonne, was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. She couldn't get up from bed. She couldn't move. Everything hurt, and, and fever wouldn't break. And she lied in that hospital room day after day, and doctors tried treatment after treatment. And she was declining rather quickly. And finally, the doctors came to my parents and said, there's really nothing else we, we know what to do. There's nothing else that we can do. It's just a matter of time. So I remember my mom calling the saints of the church. I grew up at Principe de Paz, United Methodist Church, which is on Couples and Brady on the west side of San Antonio. And I remember she called some of the saints of the church and they gathered together and they called other people and they all gathered at the church that night and they had a prayer vigil. And they prayed through the night. And the next morning we went to the hospital. And Yvonne was not only sitting up in her bed, she was on the ground walking around, laughing, playing, feeling much better. The doctor came in. He'd been the family doctor for years, and we loved him. And he says, I don't know what happened. And I remember Mom saying, I do. Jesus intervened, and he healed her. And so this October, and if I'm going to be 49, Yvonne will be 43. And we praise God every year because he healed her. Prayers were heard and answered. And we all celebrated and we praised God together the, the next Sunday at church and the Sundays after that. We just, we just lifted up the voice, our voices and praised God for what he had done in this young child's life, my sister. And it was joyful. And it was my first 
experience or my introduction into the healing power of Jesus. Now, over the years, I've seen Jesus continually do that. And sometimes it's not physical healing. Sometimes it's spiritual healing. Sometimes it's emotional healing. Mental healing. And sometimes the healing doesn't occur until after you pass from this world to the next. But Jesus always heals. Never lets us down. Never abandons us. And so the passage for this morning is, is, is exciting because we see that healing power of Jesus manifest itself in the life of a crippled woman. In the first service, I kept saying an old crippled woman. We didn't know, we don't know if she was old or not, but she was indeed crippled. And it says that she had been crippled for 18 years, bent over, hard to walk and get around, probably had a lot of pain because of that. And I try to imagine how she must have felt waking up that morning, just another Sabbath Going to synagogue, not expecting anything different. I would imagine that over the last 18 years, she had been to synagogue on a number of occasions, probably on, on, on every Sabbath if she was physically able. Not knowing that on this particular Sabbath, the healer was going to be there. I can imagine her walking in to the courtyard, to the portico, in pain, bent over, getting ready for another Sabbath, when the healer sees her. And the healer frees her from her crippledness. Can you imagine what she must have experienced at that moment? The moment Jesus says, your ailment is no more. The moment he laid his hands on her and she, for the first time in 18 years, was able to stand up straight. Can you imagine what she must have experienced at that moment as Jesus finally healed her from the pain and the suffering and the agony that she had been going through? I would imagine she did a little jig. I don't do it very good, but I'm sure hers was a lot better. And she must have been so excited, so filled with joy to know that after 18 long, hard years, the gentle healer touched her and made her well. What joy. And Scripture says that, that she immediately began to praise God. To praise God for the healing 
only to have the killjoy come. Only to have the leader of the synagogue come. And he didn't just come and say, uh, what are you doing? It says that he was indignant. I looked it up so I know what it means. He was angry. And it was an arrogant angry. He was resentful that the gentle healer would heal on the Sabbath. In fact, he says, there are six other days that you can do this healing on. You shouldn't be doing it on the Sabbath, forgetting that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Indignant. Not taking into consideration the crippled woman and what she must have been experiencing at that moment. Trying to steal her joy. Trying to take her moment of healing and condemn it. And Jesus, Jesus reminds us all that this woman was a daughter of Abraham. That this woman has worth in the eyes of God, the Creator. That this woman truly matters. And that their traditions... And their legalistic views and understandings have no place in our relationship with God. And he, he, he shames them by reminding them that even on the Sabbath, they would all untie their ox and donkey so that their donkey could be free to go get a drink of water. Why is it that this daughter of Abraham cannot be freed from her bondage on the same day? Now, I have pretty bad eyesight. I wear these glasses. I've been wearing them since I was five years old. And now, because I'm getting a little older, I have these no... No line progressive bifocals where I got bifocals on the bottom and regular distance on the top. The, the bifocals don't work because I got to go do this because I need a new prescription. And my, my, my regular eyesight is pretty bad, but I have perfect 20-20 hindsight. Oh, I can look back and oh, I can criticize and I can judge and I can question. And I often find myself doing that with the Pharisees. And with this particular religious leader. And I often condemn them. What's wrong with them? 
Can't they see that, that Jesus is the healer, that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one? How can they not see it? I can see it perfectly. Oh, they're so blind. Those dummies. And I don't just do that with the Pharisees. Sometimes I do that with people around me. And I judge them for all their flaws. I judge them for all their shortcomings. I judge them for all their sins. Forgetting to look in the mirror and seeing my flaws. Considering my shortcomings. And Lord forbid, taking my sins. During our midweek Bible study on Tuesday, David brought a passage from a book he was reading. Uh, and, and it's uh, by Dennis Prager. And, and Prager is, was doing a study or asking questions, one in particular, at all the schools he was going to, to, to high schools. And, and he was asking students, if your pet and a stranger were drowning, who would you say first? If your beloved dog and a stranger were drowning, who would you say first? And Prager was surprised that less than a third would save the stranger. This happened over and over and over again over the course of 15 years. And Prager concluded that that the reason that, that we were having trouble with that question is that we were losing the belief and the understanding that were made in the image of God. You see, because if we believe and we understand that, that as children of God, we're made in the image of God, then we would have higher value for the lives of even those we don't know. Not to say you can't, shouldn't save your dog and you shouldn't love your dog. It's not about that. But it's about loving people unconditionally. One of the, one of the greatest problems I, I've had growing up in the church. Now, I grew up in the church. Anybody grown up in the church? Hands? Been in church all your, your whole life? Okay. Maybe this doesn't apply to you, but it applied to me. Is is for the longest time, the Lord's helping me. For the longest time, I believed in my heart that because I was in church and I was doing good things and I was trying to be a good person and I was trying to live right and, and I, was, I was in the MYF and then the UMYF and then the SYAs and I was taking these offices and I was... I was just doing good church. That God loved me more than those outside. 
And sometimes we, we take on that understanding of our relationship with God. Well, because we're in here and we're worshiping Him and we're praising Him and we're glorifying Him and we recognize who He is, He must love us more. But the truth of the matter is, the way He loves you and me, which is unconditionally, is the way He loves those outside of church. The prostitutes and the drug addicts and the thieves and the liars and everything we claim not to be. He loves them unconditionally. And so what we're called to be as as believers in Jesus Christ, what we're called to do is to love those we come in contact with the same compassion and love that Jesus would have for them. And to not be the killjoy that the synagogue leader was. To celebrate when they celebrate. To cry when they cry. To be there as Jesus was there. Because the reality is, we're all bruised and battered. We have all have our blemishes. And our shortcomings. And the Bible says that there's not one, no, not one, who has not sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so as believers and followers of of Yeshua, of Jesus the Christ, all we're called to do is to share that love and compassion. Early on in my ministry, my, my passion and my fire was, you, it, if you would have touched me, you would have burned. Because I was that on fire for the Lord. I was, it was hot. And, and I had an older pastor ask me, Robert, what, I see your passion. I see your fire. I see your desire. What drives it? And my response was, I just want to save the world. Whew. Got chills just thinking about it. And then he says, oh, that's too bad. What do you mean that's bad? He says, your ministry is not going to last. It's not going to flourish. It's not going to succeed. So why? He says, because you don't understand that the world doesn't need you to save it. The world has a Savior, and His name is Jesus. All you have to do is share Jesus with the world, and He'll take care of the rest. You see, we spend so much time trying to fix people, trying to change people, trying to convert people, trying to transform people, and that work still belongs to the Holy Spirit. Our job is simply to share Him. To share the good news. To share the love. To share the compassion. And He will take care of the rest. The work of transformation and confirmation belongs to God. Because again, we've got our own blemishes and our own stains and our own illnesses to contend with.
I asked you at the very beginning of the sermon if I looked okay to you, dressed up for you, wanted to look nice for you. And, and y'all said yes, and some of you clapped, and I thank you for that. Made me feel good. The fact of the matter is, is I'm showing you what I want you to see. What I think you would like to see. See, I read somewhere that when you wear a suit, you command more respect. That people will, will feel less threatened. And what you say will be taken as authority. Most of the time. But once you get to know me, once I bring you in a little closer, and start to let you see the, the flaws, the shortcomings, the blemishes. What then? See, from a distance, we're in a nice black suit, black because it's slimming, until I go this way. But if you take a really close look, one of the first things you're going to see is that I don't have my top button buttoned. <laughs> it's been like that the whole service. It's been like that the whole day. It's been like that the whole year because I can't button it anymore. I could try. But <laughs> and so I have, to, I have to keep it unbuttoned. I do have other shirts, but I want this one. And so I keep my tie nice and tied up here just so it looks like it's buttoned. Until I let you closer. And, and if you take a little closer look, and you get a little, I let you in a little closer, you're going to see that one of the buttons is missing on this suit. I've only got one. I should have two. I've only got one. And so if I unbutton it, it's not so slimming anymore. And in fact, you have to be careful because this button right here, it might poke you in the eye because it, it, it doesn't stay in where it should. But I can hide it with my tie. And so from a distance, I may look okay. My mother would say, te mira simpatico. You look handsome. But then she was saying, you need to lose some weight. <laughs> but then, I let you even closer. And I said, well, I can take my jacket off now because we're friends and we're, we're tight and, uh, and it's cool. You're going to accept me for who I am. And so I decided to take off my jacket. And then you see that I'm all torn up. I'm tattered. I don't have it all together after all. Been beaten around. Not so perfect. And as I really let you into my inner sanctum, into who I really am. No, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not going there. 
But if I let my shoes off, my socks don't even have fronts anymore. And I'm pretty messed up. But that's who I am. I'm bruised. I'm battered. Scarred. I'm hurt. Alone. Afraid. And as these three brothers and sisters can confirm, my feet smell. And so what I need from you is to tell me it's okay. To tell me that I'm okay. And that even though I'm torn up and I'm ragged and I'm, and I'm scarred and I have blemishes and, 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 and I don't have shoes and I don't have socks that fit properly, even though I'm all messed up, Jesus still loves me. And because Jesus loves me, you love me and that you're going to be there for me. You're not going to condemn me. You're not going to try and transform me. You're going to let God do what God does and you're just going to love on me. And that's what I need. And that's what we need. And so what Jesus does in this particular healing is say you're healed. And he needs us to be supportive of that healing. Jesus says... You matter. And because Jesus says he matters, he matters to us as well. And he doesn't need us to be the killjoy. We don't do it like that. Not around here. We love you. In Jesus' name, we love you. Bruised and battered and taggered and torn up. We love you. Because Jesus loves you. Now you feel free to... Let David know I need a raise so I can buy some socks. (laughs) No, I don't. The gentle healer is in our town today. Michael Card would write, Will you let him heal you? More importantly, will you let him heal the person next to you? And say, Amen. I'm going to ask that you close your eyes.
So we enter into this time of prayer. And if you need healing in your life, if you need to pray for someone else to be healed, whether it's physical, spiritual, or emotional, I'm going to ask you to stand while we're praying. And then if you need more prayer after that, the prayer ministers will be on sides waiting to pray with you.